We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cass. Good morning. Pets are part of the fabric of American family life. The American Pet Products Association estimates that two out of three U.S. families own a pet, about 87 million households. But the requirements imposed by some adoption organizations, such as flexible work schedules, a fenced yard, and the challenges of pet care, like access to vet clinics and the high cost of pet food, result in burdens that land more heavily on low-income and black and brown families. On top of that, the Association for Animal Welfare Advancement acknowledges that, quote, animal welfare has historically and predominantly been created and carried out by white people, close quote. James Evans is leading the charge for change. Evans is founder and chief executive officer of CARE, Companions and Animals for Reform and Equity. Based in Baltimore, CARE is the first national animal welfare organization led by people of color. James, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. We've spoken on this show about white supremacy and racial discrimination in areas like health care, education, and policing. Give us the lay of the land in the field of animal welfare. Oh God, that's a that's a great question. Um, when you when you're talking about white supremacy as it relates to the United States, it's woven into the fabric of of every infrastructure. It's everywhere. It's 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 endemic, and so that includes animal welfare. And I think it surprises many people that white supremacy and bias exists in the field because it has such a amazing halo effect. And some of that is. It's honestly well-deserved. There's a lot of hard work when it comes to um, rescuing animals and caring for animals. And there are a great many well-meaning people that spend a good portion of their lives doing that work. But the the issue is that it, it is predominantly white. And it has been since the 1600s. So 1600s? The, <laughs> people always are always surprised by that. Animal, animal welfare um, and animal welfare laws predate child welfare, uh, women's rights, black emancipation. And so it, it is today what it was historically in the 1600s, which is a field that is predominantly occupied by white women, 85%. And most of the leadership are middle to upper class. And so it it, it is um, endemic of actually non-for-profits in the country in general, right? You have predominantly white folks who, well-meaning, often form non-profits to help, in quote, the needy, but often those uh, less fortunate, needy, impoverished folks are not brought to the table to be part, be part of the process of solving social ills that they face every day. Specifically, what challenges do you see in Baltimore? <laughs> Baltimore is is actually no no different than other places around the country, but it is interesting, right? We have a a high density population of African American and a growing population of of Latinx Americans. But when you look at large animal welfare organizations, those organizations from top down are predominantly white. Only 1% of animal welfare organizations in the country are led by African-American folks. 
And so what it, it leads to is lack of awareness from the top down. Uh, so we, we actually met a woman named Leslie here in Baltimore, um, amazing pet owner. She's had Great Danes her whole life, two of them, both lived past 18. And she was uh, rejected from all of the adoption areas around Baltimore 16 times. 16 times. <laughs> 16 times for pet adoption. Because? She, so often a adoption center won't give you an answer. They won't, they won't respond to your application at all. Ah. But her last application, she was told quite directly that the folks looking at her adoption application did not believe that she could afford a Great Dane. And Leslie was really upset, and she asked me, why did I think that was? And I told her, quite honestly, I think it was your zip code. I think because her zip code is right off of um, North Avenue, not far from Druid Hill Park, that there is a presumption that she is um, underserved, impoverished. She's a former police officer. She's retired. She is essentially the perfect pet owner. And, um, you know, she wept. She cried, you know, telling us about these 16 rejections. But often what BIPOC folks find is that when they go to adopt, their response is, not you. You know, we want someone else other than you to come and adopt. And it's, it's it for me, it is what it is to be of color in the country. Like you said, you, you, you've talked on the show before, which I really appreciate you all leaning into the realities of white supremacy in this country and bias in this country. But I just want people to understand that it is ubiquitous. It, it's part and parcel of being part of the United States. And it's something that we have to do our best to unravel everywhere. We just happen to be unraveling it in this particular space. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with James Evans, who lives in Towson and founded CARE, Companions and Animals for Reform and Equity. The nonprofit advocates for diverse leadership and community-led solutions in the field of animal welfare. CARE collaborates with leaders in underserved communities across the country. Tell us about the CARE Center Partner Program. CARE centers are, are the heart of CARE. When I founded CARE, one of the things I wanted to do was do two things at at the same time. One, speak to the majority white-led organizations and say, essentially, we're here. We African Americans, um, Latinx folks, Asian Americans own roughly half, as a collective, half the, of the animals as their as their white counterparts. Right. So I wanted to say to those leaders, look, we're here. We did a national research study that showed that there was bias amongst the leadership in animal welfare. And so instead of sort of knocking on the door and waiting for a response, right, which is the typical way that pro-black, pro-BIPOC organizations have always done, advocating that we be let in the door, I've accepted that's a reality. But at the same time, we're saying we can actually support homegrown local organizations at the same time. So all over this country, we found amazing, compassionate BIPOC people who want have always wanted to be part of this animal welfare sphere, but have not been able to sort of break the glass ceiling 
So what we've done is sort of supported them, helped with 501c3 status. We've created, helped to create 21 different non-for-profits just in the last two years alone. Give me an example. So one example is Awanukwe. She lives in Minnesota. She has been supporting her community's pets for years by herself, just community leader. We have introduced her to some of the same uh, funders that funded CARE, and now they fund Awanukwe. Uh, the same thing with Tim Friedman and folks on in L.A. Uh, all of these organizations have been supporting the people and the pets in their community all alone by themselves. By the way, some of them have tried to seek employment inside of traditional animal welfare and been either rejected or denied. And so what we've done is we've sought those folks out and asked them what they would want to do, what do they envision for their own community, and we help them um, create those things uh, for their community. So it's a, it is a very for-us-by-us strategy. What solutions could improve conditions for pets and pet owners in Baltimore? Proximate leadership. Everything, everything for me is about proximate leadership, and it's not proximate. Proximate leadership. Proxi- Nearby, the, close. Yes, close. Meaning that people who actually are living with the challenge are always more likely to solve the problem. So, here in Baltimore, we need more proximate leaders, and that's not to say that the white Americans involved with the animal welfare movement, it's there's nothing wrong with being white. That's not what, what we're saying. But if you're playing a game of Scrabble, you're not going to win with just W-H-I-T-E, right? <laughs> you, need, you need all the letters of the alphabet. And so, you know, in a, in a community that is predominantly black, we should be looking for predominantly black and brown leaders. February is Black History Month. What (laughs) events does CARE have coming up? So historically, we have um, always had talks, and we'll have that um, again this this year. Undergirded by those talks about black history, we often touch on subjects like redlining, um, the lack of veterinary... um, African-American vets in the industry. And we also have a, um, a scholarship that we focus on for BIPOC folks, specifically black folks that um, want to go to veterinary school. Oh. We've raised, I think, well over $280,000. And we have um, created these scholarships that we've given to historically black colleges, HBCUs, to support those students that really are struggling to get through veterinary school. And, and folks out there that want to help, it's really important. It's really important um, for young BIPOC folks to see someone like them as a veterinarian because if you, if you don't see it, you tend to think that it's not possible. And, and so um, we have these talks. They're weekly talks. They'll be on the website soon. And the former ones are also on the website. And we've caught, we covered a gamut of things, but we always highlight – Black history, both inside of animal welfare, because there have been some incredible black and brown leaders inside of the field that go unrecognized. Uh, But we also just cover black history in general. Well, we will link to your website. Thank you. Thanks for telling. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you so much.
James Evans is founder and chief executive officer of CARE, Companions and Animals for Reform and Equity, a Baltimore-based group working to improve diversity in the field of animal welfare. Short break on the record. When we're back, perspectives from veterinary medicine and animal control. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. We're speaking this morning about diversity in the animal care and welfare field, specifically how the lack of diversity results in insufficient care for pets and pet owners. We just heard from James Evans, founder of CARE, Companions and Animals for Reform and Equity, a Baltimore-based nonprofit that invests in community-led solutions and animal welfare leaders from diverse backgrounds. Joining us now is Dr. Azalea Boyd, CARE's Chief Veterinary Medical Officer and Chair of CARE's Veterinary Advisory Committee. She lives in Atlanta. Dr. Boyd, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us on today. Really excited. And also with us is Trey Law, Senior Director of CARE Centers and Community Animal Care Liaison, Southeast Tier. Originally from Maryland, he now lives in Atlanta. Welcome, Trey. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Dr. Boyd, what called you to the field of veterinary medicine? Oh, my goodness. It is something that um, I've always wanted to do since I could remember. Um, I always knew that I was going to be helping people in some capacity and actually started uh, school with the intent to be a human medical doctor. I actually had a roommate who was telling me about all of the fantastic things that she was doing in her class as an animal science major. She was pregnancy testing cows and neutering goats. And I, you know, I was like, this is just so amazing. And um, I wanted to connect more with my love for animals. And so I switched majors and um, decided to go to vet school. And so I graduated from Tuskegee University, which is the only HBCU, historically black college and university that actually houses a veterinary school. Um, and super proud of my profession and to be a graduate of Tuskegee University. And Trey, you started your career on Maryland's Eastern Shore, working for the Natural Resources Police. What drew you from that to the animal control side of law enforcement? I actually had a case in in Caroline County um, who I was training with one of my mentors. Come to find out it was a animal control case where a dog was shot on state property. Um, From there, it became like very evident that that's something that I wanted to do because the whole entire investigation process that it took um, to find out who unfortunately um, killed that dog um, actually was what drove me to the profession. And actually the, the conclusion of helping that family find out who was responsible for doing that to their pet. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates that only about 2% of veterinarians in the country are black or African-American. Dr. Boyd, what factors do you think contribute to the lack of diversity in your profession? We don't have the youth seeing diversity within the field. And so if the youth don't see diversity within the field, they can't truly aspire to be a veterinarian right? Um, they think it's it's something that can't, it's not for them. And so having a diverse veterinary workforce, that that's a huge part of 
um, the lack of uh, black veterinarians in the field. You know, another big part is culture, right? So I come from um, Caribbean American heritage. And so I'm first generation American born here in America where my parents are from the Caribbean. And, um, you know, culture is, is, is different for so many people, right? So just because we are all black, it doesn't mean that we are all the same culture or just because we're all indigenous, it doesn't mean that we're all the same culture um, and so on. But for my Caribbean parents, having a dog was something, you know, that was um, considered a luxury one, right? Very expensive. It wasn't something that was really encouraged in our household. And then when we finally did convince uh, our parents to get a dog, you know, we had to have an outside dog and there wasn't a lot of knowledge around um, how we care for our dog. And and so I think culture and the lack of representation are probably the two, the two biggest things in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, picking up on, on your point uh, and broadening out, only 7% of veterinarians identify as Black, Asian, Hispanic, or Latino heritage. And of course, there's also a shortage of providers. Dr. Boyd, what do these factors mean for families with pets? It's a big concern, right? Because when you don't have a diverse workforce, our clients can't necessarily relate to us, right? And so if you have a profession that's 98, you know, 92 to 98% Caucasian American, and you have a, a, a world of pet owners that are diverse, that, that poses a problem. Clients often feel more comfortable and trusting when they can relate to their veterinary care providers. And so when you have that diverse team, it helps build rapport with clients. And that's going to foster better relationships and compliance with medical recommendations. So if clients don't trust professionals um, or they have a, a historic um, distrust of medical facilities in general, it's going to be really hard for the provider to be able to get through to those clients to have those clients really adhere to their medical recommendations and compliance. Give me an example. What have, what have you seen? I can recall a, a time when I had a white male colleague as um, a veterinarian and he slammed out of the exam room and threw his paper up on the on the table, threw his pen and said, you know, if you don't know how to speak English, you need to go back to your country. This was an appointment of his. And I looked at his the technician that he was working with at the time and I said, well, what what happened, you know? And the technician told me that there was a young child in the room doing the translation for her, her parents and that he did not want to talk to the young child and told them that they need to go somewhere else that speaks their language. And so that was extremely heartbreaking because one, at that moment, we lost an opportunity to take care of that pet that was in the room because of the lack of diversity, because of the lack of empathy. You know, I ran out after them and they were gone by the time I tried to help. But I don't know if that patient was sick, if they needed care, if they needed preventative care. It could have been something simple like just needing a preventative vaccine in order to 
assure that that pet remains healthy. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with Dr. Azalea Boyd. She is Chief Veterinary Medical Officer for CARE, which advocates for increasing diversity and equity in the field of animal welfare. Also with us is Trey Law, Senior Director of CARE Centers and Community Animal Care Liaison Southeast Tier. Trey, what misconceptions do you think people have about the animal control field? Mm, I would say that um, that animal control is only here just to take your animal. Mm. And, and you know, there are some times where that is the situation, but me being in a profession for almost 10 years now, I would say that's, that's the least thing I'm trying to do. I, I will honestly say that animal control officers should be out here to educate and keep animals within the household. You know, we already have a high population in our shelters now as it is. And, and you know, there's been plenty of times where I've gone out to a call or if I've gone out to a call and assistant the officers and the first thing they're saying is, oh, you want to take my dog? And I always tell them, hey, I have 400 other dogs in the shelter. <laughs> I don't need yours. That does give them a sense of relief that, hey, you know, not only that they have a, a African-American animal control officer there that's there to help, um, but also give them some sense of relief that, hey, I'm not here to take your animal. I j- I'm just here to educate you and help you provide provide you with the resources that you need. What did you observe about diversity in the profession while you were working in animal control? <laughs> there wasn't much diversity, I would say. Um, I've been in leadership roles um, the last probably seven years or so, and there's absolutely barely any diversity in leadership roles. Um, I've worked for an organization where there's been 27 directors, and out of 27 directors, two were black, and one of them being the maintenance or the facility director and me being the other. Um, so there's there's not much diversity, absolutely, at all. You know, as James spoke about earlier, you know, majority of the African-Americans that work in the shelter are frontline staff members. The majority of them are, are kennel workers. And, you know, that's the unfortunate part is majority of these organizations don't have any African-Americans in the, in the leadership roles, and people don't see that. So people of color don't believe that that's possible. Dr. Boyd, CARE will soon unveil a new arm of its educational programming. Tell us about Vet Ready, which stands for Racial Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. So CARE has a already ready, non-vet, but ready racial equity, diversity, and inclusion certification program that really is a broad overview regarding historic oppression and the need for equity. But Vet Ready focuses on the need for cultural competency within veterinary spaces and the need for equity in terms of access to care. So it's really going to um, allow veterinarians and veterinary paraprofessionals, so that's from the technicians, the assistants, the front desk staff, um, really prepare them to understand that not all patients are the same and While the very expensive, quote unquote, gold standard of care is taught in veterinary schools and may be offered as the only option, VetReady is really going to encourage vets to seek broader accessible care options um, while maintaining respect for pet parents and their ability to apply care. I'm not sure I understand the distinction between broader options for care and the, the gold standard you referred to. Yeah, so in veterinary schools, we're taught goal standard, and that means this is the best 
a 100% option for this pet when it comes to treatment. And sometimes what happens within the veterinary industry is we get stuck on that one, you know, we are taught that this is the one way to treat this ailment. But what happens with that is gold standard tends to be very expensive and it's not an option for all pet owners. And so we really want to get veterinarians and veterinary paraprofessionals out of just thinking this is the one option and really start engaging with clients and saying, what can you do? Um, what are you able to do today? Um, letting clients be a part of the decision-making and the treatment based on what they're able to afford. Thank you both for this conversation. No problem. Not a problem at all. Thanks, Dr. Boyd. Thank you. Thank you very much. We've been speaking with members of the Baltimore-based nonprofit CARE, Companions and Animals for Reform and Equity. Trey Law is Senior Director of CARE Centers and Community Animal Care Liaison Southeast Tier. Dr. Azalea Boyd is CARE's Chief Veterinary Medical Officer and Chair of CARE's Veterinary Advisory Committee. At the On the Record page, we have information about CARE's upcoming events and scholarship program. I'm Sheila Cast. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow.